Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. As promised, two episodes this week. So today we are talking about Liturgicae Instaurationes. Uh, Dennis is going to go into this, but this is uh, the third document of a series of documents put out by the Sacred Congregation for Divine Worship. And I will put a link to this document in the show notes. Also, you're probably wondering what the heck is going on in the image for this podcast episode. Well, Dennis, when we sat down and did these recordings, brought these goofy glasses, and he wore them almost every episode, and I had to really fight hard not to laugh at him, saying these eloquent things about liturgy while wearing these goofy glasses. So uh, that's that's what that picture is. Uh, It's funny, so we decided to just make it the image for the episode. So without further ado, episode 16 of season 2 of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. All right, so Jesse. Yes, Dennis. I want to correct some misconceptions. Well, isn't that the basis of every Liturgy Guys podcast episode Not ever? always. Sometimes we just Some, talk about sometimes the great we f- things. Sometimes we further misconceptions. Oh, that's true. Great we did ones. that that one time. That's that was right. bad. We, I don't want to talk about that. Right. And one of the misconceptions has to do with what Vatican II actually wanted with the liturgy, what Annabale Bunini did with it. And what the spirit of the liturgy is. Annabale Bunini is, uh, I don't know, he's sort of either your favorite hero or your favorite villain, depending on what side of the liturgy. Or your favorite cocktail. Well, yeah, actually, an Annabale, it's like uh, two parts gin and one part Italian. I was talking about a Bellini. A Bellini? That's a a Bellini, is it? Yeah. Well, Bunini, Bunini, B-U-G-N-I-N-I, yeah. Okay. And you guys he, need to drink more. He was uh, highly placed under Pius Twelfth in liturgy, and then he was very much involved with the redoing of the Missal after Vatican II with the Concilium. And then strangely, he got exiled to Tehran, and then he was back, and this and that. And some people say he was a Freemason, and other people say that's just stupid conspiracy theory. And everybody's got a theory about him, and nobody really knows. But... And, you know, I don't, I don't... Okay, can you go to the part where we're explaining something and not... And not furthering misconceptions? Yeah, furthering misconceptions? <laughs> well, I'm not promoting any of these oh, misconceptions. Okay. I'm just saying this is sort of what's out there, right? Got it. Okay. Now, when he was still in Rome in 1970, he was the secretary, not the head of it, but the secretary of the Congregation for Divine Worship, which put out all these rules about how you implement Vatican II. And one of the things they put out was the third instruction on the correct Im- application of... Sacrosanctum Concilium of the Sacred Liturgy. And what was that called in Latin, Chris? Liturgicae instaurationes, of course. The reforming or the redoing. <laughs> Instaurare, you know. Is they had to do three of these? Are there more? Well, there's been five altogether. Really? And Chris is our genius with facts. So mm-hmm. the first one was... Inter-ecumenici in 1964. Right. Okay. Right, so the, the council just gives broad principles... And what these are meant to do is apply the principles more concretely to actual liturgical reform or practice. And this is still happening today, right? Yeah. They're this, still, you know, going through some of what Vatican II said mm, and implementing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so Dennis, so Interecumenici was the first, and Dennis is, wants to talk about this Liturgicae Instaurationes. There was one in between that, Tres Abhinc Anos, that was 67. Dennis's one, Liturgicae Instaurationes, was 70. 70, right, because the new missile comes out. There's the, the first missile of 65, but then the new missile that we use now 69. came out in 69, so they have to put out a bunch of instructions. Here's the new thing. This is how we use it. So this is a very highly placed authoritative document. How do you implement Vatican II? So why, but, but why to, is this more important than, not necessarily more important, but why are we going with number three? Well, just because it's an interesting one. People think, you know, often that either uh, after Vatican II, all kinds of crazy things were permitted just because the 70s was sort of, you know, wild time. I wouldn't know. Uh, yeah, you weren't alive then. I was barely alive then. Chris remembers it very well, however. Um, yeah. Um, He's a result of the seven. So anyway, they put out this third instruction. It, the prefect at the time was uh, not Bunini. It was a guy named, his last name was G-U-T. I suppose it's Gut, German, rather than prefect Gut is not really mm -hmm. a good way to say that. Anyway, so they want to say, here's how you should do it. But they already realized there's some funny things going on. Were you going to add something there? Well, just uh, to try to complete Jesse's point, who cares about this third one? And, you know, so the fourth one is uh, on enculturation. Uh, legitimate variations is, is basically what it's called. And that's from 94. Now, this is in the news today because of this question about uh, Pope Francis's motu proprio and what requires a recognitio or recognition and what requires a confirmatio well, or confirmation. this is whether the bishop, the local bishops decide something versus the Vatican. Right. And so the things that have to do with ritual adaptations require uh, a Recognitio, but that's what governs ritual adaptations is this fourth instruction called Varietatis Legitime. Okay. And then the fifth one on translations is Liturgiam Authenticum. All right, so just to put these five instructions in, in proper context, and that's what why this third one is important too, is, you know, if we, uh, we want to take seriously kind of this hermeneutic, uh, you know, kind of a common thread through various documents and practices, well, all of these are important, especially for a liturgy guy, such Great. as yourself. Right. And if people think everything went berserk in the 70s and it was the fault of Vatican II. Then they are right. Oh, sorry. They are kind of wrong, right? Because oh. if you actually look at what Rome put out, how to use this new missile, and you, if you did what it said, which was, what, 46 years ago, it, things would be a lot You better. had many jobs, and you didn't do <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, nobody listens and reads these mm -hmm. documents from Except the Rome. liturgy guys. Well, there you go. Boom, we go. boom. So... It starts out by saying the reforms that have been into effect, put into effect are about primarily the Eucharistic mystery. And uh, it says the idea of renewing these was that the, it would promote the pastoral action, so priests helping people do stuff, that has its summit and source in the sacred liturgy to bring the paschal mystery of Christ forward. So that's the goal, right? It's not how much funky music can we sing or how ugly can the church be or how much can we get with the times. It's all about how can the mystery of Christ be made real in the minds of uh, people. So, you know, it goes through these one by one. And, you know, one of the first points is, says that the flexibility of the rubrics, which a lot of people complain about because there's so many options and the priest may do this or that or this or that, often becomes um, this time when there's kind of an in or illicit impro improvisation. Yeah, it can be like a rubrics cube. Sorry, that was a joke, Christo. Rubrics and cube. I wanted to steal oh my it. gosh! No, that, that was from uh, one of our li uh, oh, listeners, oh, uh, right. my my good uncle in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. I love it. He said rubrics cube. Yeah, he, rubrics cube. He just said it wrong, but it was funny. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, well, it, was, it was intentional. Oh, he did it. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, I thought yeah, you said that he, he like this, this Monsignor Thorburn yeah. from Lincoln. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. then. Praise to him. I yeah. need to meet that man. Okay. So anyway, he says that, you know, the new, the new uh, missile has all these rubrics. 
and are flexible enough to do different kinds of things. So you can do this or that. And there's lots of options. And he says here, there's no need to resort to arbitrary adaptations, which would only weaken the impact of the liturgy. So we think, well, Vatican II means you can do whatever you want, or the spirit of Vatican II means you can run around, do whatever, uh, especially back then. Nope. He makes it clear if it's weakens the effect of the liturgy by impromptu adaptations, then he says it won't be vital, moving, or spiritually effective. In other words, can you think of my favorite word that comes to mind? Ontology? Ontology, right? We were talking about this in the car on the way here today. That, sure you were. Yeah, ontological reality is meant to be encountered. The thing's meant to be encountered, it is reality. And if you start overlaying other stuff that's not liturgical on it, then you encounter something on the peripheries of it and not the actual thing. What is they, they you read how the document begins. It's about the Paschal mystery. That's the ontological reality of the liturgy, and anything that serves to obscure that is uh, has right. no place. Imagine you're walking down the street and you see Jesus coming in his second coming glory. And instead of saying, let me go see Jesus, you start having dancers dance around and balloons and clowns and really bad music that's not about Jesus, constantly distracted by the video screens on either side of him uh, instead of looking at him. Those would be all these things that prevent you from actually encountering him. And if you think of the liturgy as Christ's presence manifested in these signs and symbols, anything that makes that less clear, less direct, less obvious, then that's a problem. So here's this instruction in 1970, which people would think would be the epicenter in time of do whatever you want. And what's, what are they saying? Don't do whatever you want. The point that they have all these varieties is that you can choose the legitimate options and not go off and make up stuff uh, on your own. And therefore, it's not actually a, as rigid as some people say it is, where like you have to do all this stuff, that there is variety an option. Right, and that was the complaint about the missile before Vatican II, is there was one option for everything, pretty much, and you had to do it or else. And they realized that didn't always meet all the needs in different countries and different times and different everything. So that's what they said. This great variety of local conditions throughout the world means now that they have these options for Africa and China and wherever you happen to be. But mm -hmm. they're licit options, and if you make up stuff that doesn't need to be made up, then you would re reduce the vital, moving, and spiritually effective nature of the liturgy. And I think most people think just the opposite. Oh, if we adapt it to the needs of these people, it'll be more effective. But anybody who's been to a mass where the priest makes up stuff, you just get distracted by what's being made up and you don't encounter what you're supposed to encounter. Yeah, that's, much. and that's what we were talking about in the car on the way here is like, it seems that sometimes the more authentic and real that Catholic initiatives become, whether it's about beauty or liturgy or anything, uh, it seems like that young people are more attracted to that because it draws them in rather than somebody trying to say like, um, like like a parent trying to be cool and using <laughs> like the using new jargon and things that their teenagers say to make them like them and be their friend, you know. Um, but young people don't want that; they want to be drawn into something. Right. It's, oh, go ahead, Chris. Yeah. Well, I was going to say on the whole, I, I yeah, I, I really do think you're right, but. Um, we shouldn't be too hard on the priest. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's the people that want the priest to be, to try to be more hip and relevant. Oh, and, people. And the rest. So it's the not, world would be great if it weren't just, for uh, people. You know, it, so it's not just, you know this, it's not just the priest's fault. I mean, oh, all yeah. of us can look at, well, sure. and this is why this type of a document or understanding what the church was saying is important for priests and people, uh, liturgically minded people to, to be familiar with. Yeah, I'll keep going here. You know, he says, there were others who, concerned with urgent pastoral needs, felt they could not wait for definitive renewal to be promulgated. As a result, some individuals on private initiative arrived at hasty and sometimes unwise solutions. You've probably seen this in your life. Uh, made changes or simplifications in the rites which were against the basic principles of the liturgy. 
ontology again, right? Mm-hmm. If it's not liturgical, and just not being patient for the the natural Waiting process for the for the church for right? all five of these corrections to come out. <laughs> instructions it on proper implementation. Oh, oh, sorry, instructions. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what he says? The effect. Well, maybe I'll ask you. Can you can guess what uh, Cardinal Gutz' complaint was? If people, the priest, is making unauthorized uh, changes. How, what would be the effect on the people in the pews? They're robbing Confusion. The, and robbing the liturgy from them. He says, it troubled the conscience of the faithful and impeded or made more difficult the progress of genuine renewal. And mm. I think that is still true all these years later, 46 years later. If a priest sort of makes up stuff and, oh, this is relevant to the people, I'll just change language, I'll do this, I'll do that. And all of a sudden, people are not interested in liturgical renewal as it's supposed to be because you can't actually access it. You're constantly distracted by why can't we even get the basics down? And then if you try to show up and say, well, you should use the book and use the rubrics, then, then you're the problem. And it's, a, it's still with us today in a lot of places. You remember we talked about that address of the Holy Father to that group of Italian uh, liturgists? Yes. Uh, he said those exact same things, that, um, you know, that the reform needs to be received with a docility and a spirit of obedience. Uh, renewing the books isn't enough to renew a mentality. And so we've been very patient and it's still ongoing to try to um, try to reinstill and to continue to educate both priests and people according to the principles and the ontological reality of uh, what the liturgy is. Right. How can still you get to the on. deeper meaning of liturgical reform if you can't get to the shallow part of liturgical mm-hmm. reform? If you can't dig up the sod on your lawn, how can you get to the soil you know, underneath? Hey, I'm so, I got confused though here. So who's writing this? This, this is, is Gut or Bunini? Gut and Bunini signed it also. Oh, okay. But uh, Gut is the prefect, prefect. and Bunini is the secretary okay. under, under him. All so right. Bunini didn't write this, but he signed it, which theoretically... He, well, he, could have had, he could have had input, right? I guess Cardinal Gut is not really a name that's remembered in history. Oh, Bunini, uh, Bunini is... So, you know, he says that many reasons uh, that many bishops and priests and laymen asked the Holy See to intervene. People are really upset. A lot of crazy things were happening and that the church should use her authority to keep this fruitful action in liturgy uh, proper, a proper encounter with God. So then he goes through these different things that the bishops are called upon to exercise their responsibility. In other words, hey, bishops, do what you're supposed to do to correct and to bring to mind um, the proper implementation of the council. It's a common theme today, too, right? Again, with uh, especially translations or responsibilities of bishops and bishops' conferences to uh, to see to the right implementation and celebration of the liturgy. It's still right. a theme. If you're a teacher in school, you say, why don't the parents take care of these kids, right? It's the job of the parents to regulate the household. In this case, it's the job of the bishop uh, to regulate um, the diocese. And so he says this little document is to help bishops figure out what, what to do. So number one, he says, he goes these numbered things. The simplification. Now we actually begin in the document. Well, this is this is the context. So here we go. So you know, there's this line in Vatican II that the right should be distinguished by a noble simplicity. Noble simplicity, mm-hmm. as we talked about before, they should be short and clear and unencumbered by useless repetitions. Well, what do you think the average person thinks that means? The noble simplicity. That there should be like no Be- beige. Yeah, no Beige. gold, no silver. It should be that they emphasize the simple part of it. Right, vestments should count, be yeah. you know Plain. unadorned sort of tablecloths, hole in mm-hmm. the top. Right. Well, this is what he says. This Tab- sim- Did you say Tabor cloths? T- oh, oh, that whoa. would be okay, Mount Tabor cloths. <laughs> this simplification must not go beyond certain limits, for otherwise the liturgy would be deprived of its sacred sign, its sacred signs, and its appeal to the senses. These are necessary to make the mystery of salvation really effective. 
and by means of catechetical instruction to be rightly understood. So in other words, yeah, simplicity, again, let the reality come through, not be unencumbered by useless things that prevent you from seeing it, but to let the reality come through. So flat out, this is 1970, he says, liturgical reform is not at all synonymous with so-called desacralization. It hmm. is not intended as an occasion for what is called secularization. Wow. Isn't this the complaint that a lot of people have? They say there's no air of mystery or sense of mystery. And usually that's what they're, the complaint about Vatican II is that there was this desacralization of everything. Vatican is saying, no, that is not the right application of Vatican II. You have a look they're, on your face. No, girl. I think it's, 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 this is very uh, eye-opening to me. I mean, they, they literally said that. Literally, I'm, here it is. Here it is. Here are the little papers right here in my hand. So it says the liturgy must keep a dignified and sacred character. Okay, great. Now you might say, is Pope Benedict writing this? Cardinal Burke writing this? Is some you know conservative blogger writing this? This is the official Paul VI era Vatican document on how to implement Vatican II. Listen to this. This one especially you might think was like some cranky blogger, okay? The effectiveness of liturgical actions does not consist in the continu continual search for newer rites in sim or simpler forms, but in an ever deeper insight into the word of God and the mystery which is celebrated. <gasps> Cranky, old, you know, Bennett the 16th. No, this is the immediate post-conciliar years right after the council, right after the, the missile is... Um, uh, released, and he says, "How would the priest do? How, how would you think the priest would do this to make this deep mystery celebrated be known by the people? He should sit with the people. <laughs> no. Oh, sorry. He should make it up. He should do what they're doing in the folk music of wing the 1970s. Oh, just wing it. Okay, so they're going to tell us, right? Yeah. So it probably has to something it. to do with uh, understanding. Uh, has probably with an intellectual understanding and fidelity to uh, the to the to the books and the rites. Yes." Ding. Oh, ring the bell, Jesse. Okay, there you go. He says, The priest will assure the presence of God and his mystery in the celebration by following the rites of the church rather than his mm. own preferences. Oh, I'm so Ooh, tempted to, to name some priests by name no, right don't. now. No, don't. Oh, but I'm not going to do it. Name good priests. Do well, it not in this now. context. Oh. Uh, he says, The priest should keep in mind that by imposing his own personal restoration of the sacred rites, which is a funny way to put it. Yeah, own personal restoration. Yeah, instead of his own personal you know, adaptation. He is offending the rights of the faithful and is introducing individualism and idiosyncrasy into celebrations which belong to the whole church. That is a big thing, I think. That really is interesting. If, if the Holy See came out with something worded that strongly today, yeah, there'd be, I think, a real uh, visceral reaction to, you know, maybe their overreach or being too authoritarian or things like that. But that's really interesting from 1970s. But this still applies, right? I mean, yeah, it's I'm not sure. like this doesn't, can still be cited as. Mm -hmm. No, this is, still in, yeah. this is still authoritative in some way, I imagine. But you think about that. If the priest doesn't follow the rites, he's introducing individualism and idiosyncrasy into something which belongs to the whole church. So. You know, the priest will often say, well, if I do this, then the people will understand better. If I do this, then people have a feeling of being included or well, whatever. Like if he well, says, hello, everybody, hey, good I, morning. Let, but let me interject, just so we're not too hard on the priest. Sure. Uh, sometimes it's the people who they yeah, want, the, even if the you priest doesn't want to say that, right. even if the priest doesn't want to say that, the people want to say Chris is a man of the people. I'm a man of the people. That's true. That's true. You hear about this so often. We, we, all, we all, everybody, you know, falls into this and can share some blame on this. But anyway, back to your He's beating up the priest. never. Okay. Ever. Except for Jesse. But the notion that the right belongs to the people, too, is uh, an interesting thing. That everybody has an expectation that they should 
hear the words that are in the missile and have the rights done the proper way. And if anybody makes an adaptation of that, then they're actually denying, what does he say? Uh, something about stealing it from the people or something like mm-hmm. that, that they have a right to what is properly theirs. Um, and so he says, the respect due to the community of God's people require that he exercise this service uh, as a faithful steward, which is an interesting thing. The rights are not his, right? He's a steward of those rights and has to do them as the church wants, not just as a legalistic thing, but to actually make those spiritual realities encounterable by the people. That was number one, Jesse. Yeah. We got time for... 17 more? Uh, liturgy Guys questions. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the, num- the number two is quick. Uh, other readings should never be substituted for the word of God. Well, that doesn't happen too often. No, now. no, no. But you hear about that in the 70s. People took a Bob Dylan song and sang it instead of the first readings or things from Lao Tse or some Eastern you know, philosopher that those would be substituted uh, for the word of God. Yeah, thankfully that one is followed pretty pretty well. Right. And uh, he's talking about the new, the new missile, that the, the rule of not substituting or making changes applies spe- specifically to that, to the official translations, and nothing else can be chosen from the uh, actual formulas. But then, Chris, you will like this. It says, the entrance and communion songs, the propers, can be selected from those approved by the bishop's conferences. So these songs are now allowed to be sung in different ways, but they're um, particular in the use of the propers. And then all means should be used to promote singing by the people. I don't know what your experience is when you go to a typical parish. What percentage of the people in the pews are actually singing? Oh, very very small, yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, And a little bit more about music. does not exclude any kind of sacred music. However, they should have holiness of uh, and good form. Guess what the footnote goes to on that one. Goodness of form and holiness. We'll let you answer this one. Okay. There was a famous document on music that said all liturgical music should have goodness and the qualities of holiness and good form. Universality. From about 1903. Okay, so it could be, I'm thinking one of two, I'm probably going to get it wrong. Is it Trilas Illichitudini? Ding, 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 ding. I was was thinking it could be Musicum Sacrum too. So 67 years later, well, actually it does quote Musicum Sacrum there. You get, wow. Double ding. Jesse listens. So, um, he said that it should direct the attention of the mind and heart to the mystery that is being celebrated. So, go make a difference, that song. Man, this is all the people's fault. I'm with Chris on this. <laughs> <laughs> go make a difference. Um, and then he says musical instruments of a greater variety are allowed, just like Vatican II. But he said they should be few in number and should fer- favor prayer and not be too loud. Wow. I've been to churches so many times where the, the musical instruments totally overwhelm, whether it's piano or guitar or whatever it mm-hmm. happens to be. Wow. You said, wow. Why do no, you say this, wow, Chris? This is an amazing document. Uh, if I've read actually, this before, I've, I certainly don't remember agree. any of this. This is fascinating. We should do a podcast episode on this. We should. This <laughs> well, is great. Uh, we're recording. Yeah, okay. So he keeps going and he says, you know, there's, again, so many choices. If the priest knows how to make intelligent use of these choices, they give him such a wide range of choice that he will have no need to resort to private adaptations, right? The, you know, but I remember when uh, Cardinal Lorenzi was going around talking about the new missile, he said, you need to have a good breakfast in order to pick it up. It's a big, thick thing, you know, masses for all these different occasions. And the missile was so big that um, there were so many options. He said, you don't need to make it up. You don't, and he said that, you know, 10 years ago, but they also said it 30 years before that. It says the Eucharistic prayer is the prayer of the priest instead of 
the people. Well, yeah, and sometimes there were, you know, most of us, I guess, are too young to remember some of the real abuses of that period, but they would have the people say the Eucharist or prayer mm-hmm. with them or the through him with him and in him. And it says it belongs to him alone because of his office, which is very uh, interesting, that his office as the head. So the priest alone must say the Eucharistic prayer and um, then great reverence to be used in breaking the consecrated bread. Now, we talked about this in the, in the car on the way up here, too. Communion under both kinds is the more perfect sacramental expression of the people's participation in the Eucharist. So what do you think about that? Yeah, we have a liturgized question about that mm-hmm. that we'll answer after this. But go ahead, Chris. Because oh, we always say that whole body, blood, soul, and divinity is present mm-hmm. fully in each of the species. But what would, what would you say about that, Chris? Well, both I, kinds is better. What the, what the church herself says about why it's a fuller sign is that it uh, better signifies the heavenly banquet in which you're participating too. So you're correct that there's body, the body of Christ is in the chalice and the blood of Jesus is in the host, but to receive under both forms better symbolizes and makes present the heavenly banquet and also participating in the sacrifice where there's body over here and blood over here. These are the reasons St. Thomas will give for the, for the double consecration, even though both of the uh, Christ is whole and entire under, under both. But that's at least what the church will say. Double Consecration is going to be the next name of my my new band. Would you like to be in my band called Double Consecration? Double Consecration. First album will be Listen But Valid. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. That talks a little bit about uh, chalices. They have to be high quality, no glass, suitable for liturgical use. No pottery. Uh, the vestment coming to all ministers of whatever rank is the alb. Alb, right? You I, see, even I knew that one. Many places servers still use casting and surplus. Is that a permitted option, Chris? Do you know? Yeah, yeah. It says uh, alb or other suitable and dignified vesture. Okay. Uh, it says the practice of wearing only a stole over clerical garb for celebration is not is reproved as an abuse. Mm. So apparently, there was a time when people didn't like. What the hardcore there in the seventies? I know they wow. didn't put albs on because they thought it was unnecessary. Even for religious, it says wearing a stole over the religious habit, uh, habit is not enough. Mm. You have to put an alb on top of your habit and then uh, a stole on top of that. I remember. When I was a Dominican novice, that was a question they were talking about. The you know, Dominican habits got a couple of layers already, and then to put an alb on top of that, a lot of people were wondering if they really uh, had to do that. Wait, you were a Dominican novice? No, I'm just kidding. I, I was a that. Dominican novice. Well, if you guys don't know, Dennis was a Dominican novice. For 10 whole months before they said, hey. <laughs> a lot they don't know about Dennis. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll do a Coffee Talk episode. I'll reveal oh, okay. all my secrets. That'd be great. <laughs> Um, then it says the Eucharist can, you know, is normally celebrated in a church, but it can go in other places as far as possible. Dining halls and tables on which meals are eaten should not be used for the celebration. No kidding! You're making this. Up. I am not. It's right here. I'm shaking. Okay, what's this? It, it existed. It's 1970. In the, 1970. Wow. The Turgique Instaurationes. And mm. it says they should translate accurately in the new liturgical books. Fideliter. Which uh, is kind of ironic, I guess. Mm. And then uh, the translation would be better if they do it slowly with the help of many experts. Mm. It should have real literary merit and enduring quality. No kidding. Harmony of style and richness of expression. Stuff like be just common knowledge? You wrote this, Dennis. No, I I mean, I could sign it now, but we have Cardinal Gut and Annabelle Bonini and Chris signing off on this thing. I'll I'll sign it too. And Jesse too. I got it. Um, but you know, they do see that the experimentation would be a little necessary. There were new things that never been done before. So it says here in number 12, believe it, we're in number 12. 
When liturgical experimentation is seen to be necessary, permission is granted in writing by this song, sacred congregation alone. Nobody can experiment unless they get permission from the Congregation for Divine Worship. Wow. How about that? This is fantastic stuff. Yeah. And you're right. This is pretty basic, but I think they wrote these things because there was a lot of weird stuff going on. But it, it sounds like it could be coming out today that people would come out and say, eh. Well, again, I think it'd be hardcore if, if it came out today. Yeah. I do. Absolutely. I think it'd be seen as too, too rigorous. You're right, Chris. It's always the, the people's fault when stuff happens wrong. So I didn't say it's <laughs> always the people's fault. <laughs> but people do. I hear this, you know, especially the younger, newly ordained priests. They just learned the proper rubrics in the parish they go to in their first assignment. Yeah. Hasn't done those for years, if ever. And they come in and they, oh, I wish it were like this. They want to change things. And people are like, oh, is this young priest trying to tell us what yeah. to do? And yeah, I hear that a lot. It is uh, part of the problem. Okay, so finally, there are 13 points here. Uh-oh. Unlucky 13. So uh, he says, finally, it should be remembered that liturgical reform is the concern of the whole church. It draws on an ancient yet living spiritual tradition. It's visibly the work of the whole people of God, structured in its orders and ministries, which is good liturgical movement thinking. Headship, ordained, then the members of the mystical body uh, do that. They call it the community's liturgy, uh, that they, the church should consider themselves ministers of the community's liturgy. Now, if you didn't really understand what that means, which Chris probably doesn't understand what that means, what is the natural implication that it's the community's liturgy? Well, it's yours and mine and ours, and you know, if it's ours, then we can we can do with it what we what we want. Or it w- would we call or... that ours, Celebrandi? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes, it would. Later to joke, later to joke. But he says that the pastors would be generous, should be generous uh, in their fidelity to the norms, and they should be examples for their people by their following of the directives of the church. And then this liturgy is open to our times, yet far from every kind of secularism and individualism. I think that's a good summary of how Vatican II is supposed to be done. There are real things that are different about the 20th century than there are from the 16th century. But nonetheless, as soon as any individual comes in and does whatever he or she wants, you're straying from the revelation ontological reality. And um, that is not the way to go. So it's not Rocket science, but many of these things could be followed today. So what is this called again in Latin, Chris, if people want to look it up? Liturgicae Instaurationes 1970. September 5th. I can link to this in the show notes, but this is a fascinating document, and for not having known it existed until literally... Uh, 30 minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> Where have you been all pretty, my life? Pretty, seriously, it though. It like, changed your life. It, it, it kind of has, and I'm definitely going to be uh, uh, reading that in detail later. Stop but. giving your priests such a hard time, all right, Jesse? Yeah, stop giving your people such a hard time. All right, uh, so we do have the what? question um, about both species. It's, it's going to be a really good question. So far, my favorite liturgy guys question ever. So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Mail call! Mail call! 
Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? All right, this email is from Chris, and he says, Hello, liturgy guys. Uh, that's, that is written out that way. He says, Thank you so much for this amazing podcast. It is truly an amazing resource, and I have benefited greatly from listening each week. That is awesome. Thank you very much, Chris. We appreciate your appreciation. Not, not me. Different yeah, different Chris. Chris. We, don't, we, don't, we don't thank you for anything. Uh, Chris says, my question is generally around receiving Holy Communion under both species. What is the norm in the church when it comes to this topic? Additionally, I have a rather long beard, so long even that whenever I drink, my mustache often gets wet. Because of this, I have chosen not to receive from the chalice for fear of the precious blood might drip. I know this sounds ridiculous, but it is an honest, it is an honest question. It is, is it wrong for me to avoid the chalice for this reason? Chris, this is by far my favorite question. This is a hipster question. I love it? this. Yeah. Uh, this is a great question. I love it. So uh, Chris Karstens, so we can specify which Chris I'm talking to now. What, what say you about this? He's looking up something diligently yeah. online. Well, we might as well sing the liturgy Thank guys. Thank you song. for asking your liturgy guys question. Your question is very important to us. <laughs> we are currently helping other customers. Please continue to hold. If your question were actually important to us, we'd have hired more staff to answer your question right now. However, we're too cheap to have enough people to answer your question immediately. Please continue to hold. If you're tired of waiting, press 9. If you'd like to wait some more, press 9. If you'd like to be disconnected, press 9. This call may be recorded for quality assurance. Hear that, Chris? We're going to record this call. Okay. okay. Now he's right. ready. Okay. Ready? Good thing we're entertaining. What was the, the question? <laughs> okay. It's a long mustache. What are the norms? What blood. are the norms? What are the norms for receiving both species? Like when or just are, all are of them? you supposed to do it? First of all, and second of all, is it wrong to avoid the precious blood uh, okay. if it is available? Okay. Well, first of all, we can lay down the general principle that yeah. full body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ is in either species alone. Yeah. What's that called? You know, what's what called sola concomitance. You're right, oh, Jesse. Yeah. It's called concomitance. That's exactly what I was going to yeah. say. So when the priest says, uh, "This is my body," uh, the body is made present, and because of the hypostatic union, the uh, 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 divinity, and because of concomitance, Christ can no longer die. So the 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 blood and the soul everything comes along is sent along with right. separation of body from blood is a synonym for death in the old testament that's how you die if you mm-hmm. lose all your blood and christ is not dead he's alive his body and blood are always cannot die anymore. what happened always to that united. guy he lost all his blood if you do you're, you're he done. lost all his body he's just blood. <laughs> his blood's over there but uh, yeah <laughs> anyway chris. yeah oh so Right, so so we know that that the, the entire Christ is present under uh, both species. Now, when can this? Uh, when can you receive under both uh, um, under both forms? It seems. I mean, there used to be much more detailed um, times about when you might receive under both uh, occasions. So there's like 14 of them that were listed in the liturgical books. You know, upon uh, the, the day of your religious profession, or maybe upon your marriage day, or something like that, on the day that your parish church was dedicated. You know, special events. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, this is General Instruction two thirty three. This is kind of a catch all. It says, 
The Dawson Bishop is uh, given the faculty to permit communion under both kinds whenever it may seem appropriate to the priest to whom a community has been entrusted as its own shepherd, provided that the faithful have been well instructed and there is no danger of profanation of the sacrament or the rites becoming difficult because of the large numbers of participants. So basically now, when can you do it? Any old time your priest thinks it's a good idea. Yeah, but I mean, the, these things, uh, there's actually this document from the U.S. bishops, uh, whole, uh, uh, was it distribution of Holy Communion under both kinds in the, in the Diocese of the United States of America. It, it tells you the various types, what should constitute the catechesis that the people give. They should understand real presence, substantial pre- insofar as is possible, consubstantiation, transubstantiation, how to receive worthily, and things like that. Wow, and so you might, that's, that's a pretty a high bar for our, oh, it is. most people. That's what, but that's what the books say. But you know, if these things are met, you know, you're not at a at a, at a celebration where you know, probably at uh, St. Peter's, they're not giving communion under both kinds. You know, out at St. Peter's in, Square, in Rome, yeah, at Rome, like that. Uh, but it, generally, apart from that, it says you know about any time it can be distributed. Okay, how about the mustache question? Yeah, yeah. what do you feel I about sympath- how do you feel about mustaches? I you sympathize you used to have a big old oh, beard, Chris. Yeah, with even a, a kind of a nice swooping uh, uh, mustachio, handlebar Nicholas, yeah, handlebar type thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's hard to eat and drink with that type of a of a mustache. Did you ever get the on. fresh blood in the hairs of your mustache? Yeah, uh, no, <laughs> but I didn't. You're like uh, a I think ballet it's dancer because, of reception of communion. No, probably because I I didn't receive from the chapel. Though. Uh, because of your mustache or oh because you don't like germs is that why well no that, that's true i don't like germs uh but um unless it's yeah, the I, general instruction of the roman missile <laughs> yeah that would be you don't uh, like I, germ right oh sorry but he does uh, like germ yeah yeah um yeah, that's a really uh, great uh, question. You don't, On but the, you don't yeah. have to. The, the answer is that you don't have to receive under both fo- both forms. That is absolutely so true. That, I think and that's again, the, kind of the core of his right, question. Right, you receive the blood of Christ when you receive the host. Now, so she asked, well, what's the point of even having the chalice in the first place? It's again, the fuller symbolism the fuller of the symbol, sacrament. The heavenly banquet and of uh, kind of uh, consummating the, the, the sacrifice by eating this and drinking the sacrifice. Yeah, but I don't think there are anything, there's anything in the rubrics about facial hair, so... Um, yeah. but well, in my sense of things, if God's a father, right, and not a stern taskmaster, he would say, receive the precious blood as carefully as you can. And if some gets in your mustache, do what is reasonable and prudent to not profane God, but don't worry too much. Yeah, about I mean, it. if, it, if I it is really on your mind, I mean, uh, receive communion last. Get or the, get the last of the open line. your mouth wide. Oh, or Chris, just shave the freaking beard. <laughs> no, you know what I'm saying? We're not recommending that. Oh, sorry. So we wouldn't no, do no. that. No. All right. But, All right uh, I guess that's not an option. No, seriously, though. Uh, go to the back of the line. You have to be completely uh, off your mind at that point. Yeah. No. Or be in, become an extra ordinary minister of Holy Communion. And? You still they, can receive first. Oh, that, then, you're, then you'd receive first. You'd that, still have the same uh, uh, quandary. Oh, yeah, that's true. Man. Yeah. But also last, first and last, depending. Okay, good. I think we. I think we, this one's in the can. Yeah, I think yeah, we answered I'm, too many questions with yeah, that one. I'm sure sorry. Chris sorry, is very Chris. sad. He's probably sorry he asked at this point. All right. Well. All right, thanks for listening. If you want to ask us a liturgy question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com. Thank you. And God God bless. bless us all, everyone. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. 
And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Now that's a podcast.